your job is something where you can execute that specific job, on the daily, you can give me results. You can make an email and it's pretty easy or an SMS and show me that you ran it. If you're just not doing your job, you're out. Yeah. So it's just a realistic view of like, it's not a charity. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you feel you're wasting money you could be keeping in your pocket? Well, many private label Amazon sellers don't even know where they're wasting money, let alone how to stop it. And if that's you, we can help. Our new online assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a powerful and quick diagnosis, go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's amazonprofitquiz.com to get your instant free analysis straight away. If you would like resources and links and other help, to do with today's episode just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 442 so let's talk about the product development side i mean first of all obviously coming back to you you had a personal reason for starting this brand based on your own personal experience so what did you do next to actually start creating the skin i mean were you literally buying different skins at home skincare products yourself or what what's yeah so if you couldn't tell i'm a, I'm a somewhat meticulous and I build process. My strength is I build processes to get the answers I want pretty effectively and pretty quickly. And I execute on them pretty ruthlessly. So what I did was first I looked at what company can make me these products. I wanted, I, I knew about a few from my notes specifically, which was concealer, hyaluronic acid serums and facial cleansers. Facial cleansers are different than soap. Soap is like specific chemicals makes you in the category of soap. You know, sometimes people are like, what's a cleanser versus a face wash? They are actually different chemistry. And, you know, at the end of the day, they all clean your face, but in a different method. So I needed to use much more sensitive facial cleansers. And I needed to use specific types of concealer to just hide this because this was crazy. It was like very visible from a mile away. And then the hyaluronic acid was to help the scar reduction. And then it turned out it just healed the rest of my skin issues and like dry skin and things like that. So I looked at places which are called contract manufacturers. I went to them and I went to formulators and I said, okay, what does it take to build these things? Please explain the chemistry to me, the process. And like, I need people who I'm going to work with to explain what they're doing to me in excruciating detail. So one, I know what's going on. And two, I know that they know what's going on because so many people in the world you can work with are mediocre. And you know, what is it? A professional is expensive, but an amateur costs a fortune. <laughs> yeah, because I like that. We'll need to repeat stuff. You will have stuff that messes up. I mean, it even comes down to if they fill your bottles wrong at the end of the day. Any number of things can happen if you're not working with the best. So they told me you twenty to twenty five thousand dollars to develop a product and you know, twelve months to get it to market or twelve to eighteen months. And I was like, that seems crazy. I develop stuff in a month usually. And then other places were like, well, we'll actually develop it for you in the same timeline, but for free, but we own the formula. So if you don't like us, we do a bad job. You can never leave because we own the formula. You can go somewhere else and use a different formula. So I don't like either of those options. 
So I looked at the third option, which is kind of the ludicrous option, which is, okay, how actual advanced is this chemistry? Can I do it at home in my apartment? And so I looked into it, bought a lot of raw materials, bought some beakers off of Amazon, and I made 200 formulas and ended up with the hydrating facial serum and hydrating body serum that we have today. I tested them like crazy. Once I had the formula, I could go back to these places and say, hey, manufacture it with your you know, epic machinery and all, all that stuff. But I actually sat down. It took me about a month and a half to two months to develop these formulas myself because I was looking at it. I bought 30 products in each category. I tested them all. I put a spreadsheet of every single ingredient in, in a thing. I Googled it one by one what they did. I became very familiar with them. And then I basically mixed in various combinations, the ingredients that I thought made sense and made the specific products work. If one was product was thicker than another, okay, what is it? Oh, well, product number like ingredient one, six, and eight are thickeners. Okay, let me buy those and test them at 1%, 2%, 3%. I did that for two months nonstop, and I ended up with two products that now we have a 0.3% return rate, aka nobody returns it. It works like crazy. We own the IP. I personally can formulate it if all shit hits the fan. I can formulate it if I needed to. And we have complete leverage over, over our contract manufacturers because it's our formula. I actually went in and trained them. So that is a very bizarre thing. Nobody in skincare basically does that unless you're like already a chemist or dermatologist. Steven don't even do that. So wow. I took <laughs> a very different path. But I saved money, saved time, and I put myself in a position of having leverage where instead of leverage being had on me, which is not some place you want to be as a startup. Yeah. Wow. So you've done quite a radical path. I mean, literally radis, radix meaning you know, the root of the problem. You went straight to the root and went, right, what do you need to actually do? And can I do it myself? And the answer is yes. Now, I think it's worth mentioning because we you know, obviously had a conversation to, to, you know, flesh out this, you know, what we're going to do in this podcast. And you've got a software development background and you were sort of comparing our contract manufacturing, at least in the skincare niche works with software. So, so give us, walk us through that. Cause I mean, obviously not everyone's going to be able to emulate you, but they might be to learn some of your concepts. So what, what was so different between your and industry software. and that? Yeah. Well, tell, tell oh. me about both. Cause I assume ignorance on both parts, you know, how does yeah, skincare industry work? The first, the two major differences that come to mind are the time period in which both industries are currently in. The skincare industry is stuck in like the 80s, like the manufacturing processes, the unbelievable bureaucracy and BS that you have to go through. Dr. Sales coordinator to get to the head of sales, to get to the head of business development, to have a marketing rep, to blah, blah, to finally talk to the chemist to make your thing. But he's not the guy that does. It's crazy. These places are like these corporate behemoths and it takes forever to do anything. Like you're not talking. And I, I demanded at the actual contract manufacturer, I directly text, not email, I text the chemist who's making my stuff. Hey, I have an idea. What if we use this ingredient? He get back to me two seconds. If I didn't have that, I walked, which is why I interviewed 15 places that kind of told me, you know, get the something, you know get out of here. And the 16th place, which is amazing, said, okay, we're good with that. So that's the first thing is like, you have to understand that some industries are just backwards and coming in from a much more tech forward industry of software development. I didn't compromise what I knew was a better process. I didn't let the industry standard BS of the skincare industry stop me. One of the things I did that was crazy was say, okay, I understand what agile development is. Let me do that first chemistry. Again, the concealer, no chance I could do that at home. The serums, I figured it out. 
But that was the first thing. I had to look for six extra months for a contract manufacturing partner who fit my who fit the way I want to develop stuff. They couldn't get me 10,000 units in two weeks. Ever the contract manufacturer tells me four to six months. So I will never sell out. I have quality control. The guy tells me I can come into the lab anytime he can make new products. I can drive in today, surprise him, and watch them make my products. That is unheard of in the skincare industry. But you know what I do? I pay a little bit of a premium per unit. But we never have any issues. So that, that's one of the first things is, is I was coming from a more advanced industry that had much better business practices. The second one was physical goods versus non-physical goods. I mean, software, it's just like if you make an app in an app store, what does it cost you? Two cents in server fees to have another user? It's very minimal. Whereas I have to make a physical product, get it into a physical fulfillment center, physically box it and ship it to you and pay a fulfillment fee. So physical goods versus non-physical goods are completely different. There's a third one, actually, I guess. Maybe it's like 3A and 3B, which is who's your customer? Is it a business to business or, or, or not? And then is it also a consumable good or a repeat purchase? You know, one of the problems with a Casper mattress kind of company is how often do you buy a mattress? I, I, I don't remember the last time I bought my mattress. Actually, it was probably a couple of, if I had to think hard, maybe three years ago, the time before that, 10 years before that, it's not a frequent purchase. Skincare, you buy it every month or you buy it every other month. Just like toothpaste, it's like body weight. When you run out of it, t-shirts or a nice suit, you don't buy every month. They don't run out. I mean, maybe it gets ruined, but it's not, it's not quite the same. So some kinds of software that you sell to companies, maybe it's on a subscription and whatever. Other kinds, like Uber, you pay when you use it. So you really have to look at the general business structure. And so for me, skincare was the perfect business because even though it's a physical product, which is the pain in the butt part of like fulfillment and manufacturing and all that stuff, it is a very small product. It is incredibly light to ship. It is incredibly easy to fulfill. The margins are huge. There's very low regulation. So like it was a great industry for all of that kind of thing for all those reasons. Wow. So interesting. I mean, it strikes me that like other successful entrepreneurs that I've interviewed on the show, that you were very radical in the sense that you completely kind of reinventing the approach to how to make a product in the first place in your industry. Now, that's not necessarily going to be for everyone, I have to say, but the people that are successful, I have to say, tend to be more radical like this. I mean, what you've done, I suppose, is, is you may have produced a somewhat different product from the consumer point of view. But I think what you produce is a business that is radically different from your competitors, which means you can do things like not tie up the capital for six months whilst you wait for your first order of a new product, right? Because you just text the guy and say, add in a bit more of this gloop and get it to me, you know, four weeks time or wherever yeah. it is, right? So that, that's a profound change. That happened last week. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Wow. You want to, there are a lot of difficulties in running a business and, you know, one of the funny things I tell people, because I mentor a lot of people, and one of the things I tell them is everyone should prepare for failure, you know, like make sure that you don't get sued by someone, make sure your terms of service are good and your privacy policy, make sure your products don't melt people's faces, whatever it is. Everyone understands those things, but you also have to prepare for success. What happens if tomorrow, like, you know, Justin Bieber put a TikTok out because he somehow discovered we sold out? And then what would happen? That's a great problem to have, but that's a problem. We can't sell anymore for however long. Okay, well, I could call my guy and in about two weeks, we'd be back in stock versus months. You have to make sure that you're also preparing for successful situations. 
you know, it's not just that inventory management is easier for me now. That's a nice thing. That probably saves me a couple hours a week. That's not that big a deal. What it is really is in the case of really good success, I know I can get half a million to a million units, like half a million to a million retail dollar value worth in two weeks made like that with high quality. I can drive it and help him. I can inspect it. I can sit there in a chair and watch him. So it's it's trying to do that at every level. I'm a full-time developer. Why? We have a Shopify site because, you know, there are bugs that happen and they mess and Shopify messes up the checkout every once in a while. Things like that. And the second we can fix it, we're not we have no downtime. The amount of sales we don't lose because we don't have bugs e- easily pays for that developer. So, there's also preparing for those kinds of of things. I'll tell you, it's much harder to do that. It is much easier to, you know, go find a couple influencers, pay them a little bit, maybe try to white label a product, test it out here and there. But that's not really building a brand. That's not really building anything that will scale as well. And that's certainly not building something that will be acquired if that's your goal. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd say that I was, I mean, and two, two points of honesty. One is that I came into the whole Amazon game in 2014. I was pitched into it as a sort of, lifestyle income replacement kind of idea which i think is a you know a silly use of the vehicle the vehicle can do many things but most people are going to make serious money from this business when they sell the business as they're implying you know creating a sellable business the other thing is that it was all about private labeling and i think everyone should realize that pure private label is fairly dead at this point i mean i'm not entirely and utterly but it's super hard to get anywhere. And I would just advise you not to bother by the time you've dealt with, you know, in your case, you've got to deal with contact manufacturers, presumably in the US. I mean, you dealt with Chinese suppliers and to the level that any of us who've been unfortunate enough to have to do that have. It's all a pain in the butt anyway. <laughs> so you might as well go through the pain for something that you really believe in. And uh, the other thing to say, which is interesting to me, is that talking of physical products in the sort of consumables niche, I've recently been in talks with a contract manufacturer himself who wants to go into retail. And I'm, I'm happy dealing with that stuff on Amazon. I have zero wish to be the Jake of, of my industry. I don't want to create products. I want to go to that trouble. And I'm just not a product guy. And I know I'm not, so I'm not going to even pretend. And a lot of people out there aren't really that product centered. And I, I would urge them to find somebody who is. What, what are your thoughts on this one? I am lucky that I can do, like, I can do some marketing myself. I can do some design myself. And I, it's my strength is in building systems. And sometimes that system can be an ad. Sometimes that system is the packaging experience. Sometimes that system could be the chemistry of the product itself. But yeah, there's a lot that I can't do. I don't code. I have a developer. I don't run ads on Facebook. We have someone to do that. I do know how to edit. I do know Adobe Premiere Pro, but it was taking all of my time to make our ads. So I hired someone and I could hire them. You definitely need complimentary people. I mean, I am lucky that I do enough things that kind of keep the core solid. But I've worked with partners before. One guy was raising money, and that was like 90% of his job in the company. It was great. He, you know, I'd see a check for 100K come in. I'd be like, great. We now have blank months of runway for the two developers I want to hire and the designer I want to hire, who I'm going to manage, whatever. That guy had ideas and raised, you know, that let me not have to go on a roadshow 24-7. I mean, my that partner was like flying around the country, like meeting with people all the time, like, it wasn't even glamorous. It sounds very glamorous, but it was like, no, it was very stressful. He'd have to walk into rooms with people who are like looking to say no and throw him out and try to get them to give him money. It's not right. actually that fun. But yeah, there's also a philosophy I have that you cannot manage something you don't understand. 
And that is where a lot of entrepreneurs get just absolutely screwed, as in like catastrophic event, your company goes down. If you do not understand the basics of website design, you're going to hire someone and most likely they're going to give you something that oh, looks good and your website's not going to work. And if your website doesn't work, what do you even have? Like, you're, Let's say your ads are killing it, but they come to your website and it doesn't convert. You need every part of your funnel to do well. It's not that hard to like watch a webinar on email marketing enough to be competent to hire and manage an email marketer. Now, after a while, I probably bother them enough where I end up learning a decent amount of it because I'm that's me. But yeah, you just you it, it is a difficult thing. You have to constantly learn. You know, I probably learn more right now per day than I did in college because I just have to. We're we're starting influencer marketing. I have to understand that enough to hire someone. I have to understand who owns the rights to the 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 the, the stuff. You know, if, if you make a posting and we don't own the rights to it, do we own the organic rights or can we edit it ourselves? Do we have a license or do we own it? If we don't get that right and we like make an ad with your thing, someone, an influencer could sue us. Okay. Well, they could sue us for a million dollars. Okay. There you go. There's, there's the budget for next, you know, next year's at like, you really have to just know enough to avoid catastrophic things and to hire the right people. But yeah, you can't do it alone. Interesting. But I think nonetheless, I mean, to the point you're making is making me rethink with this thing that I need to go and, you know, get a bunch of these products and, and try them out and educate myself more. Because I think you're right. You can't really. I think you can't really market something if you don't understand it, which will be my issue with this, this, you know, I'm the Amazon, you know, face for this guy, not face, but the manager. But also you're right when it comes to things like the, the pains that I've seen and, and experienced myself, things like bookkeeping. I, I don't think everyone should do their own books, but I think you should be capable of doing it probably really, really badly, but you at yeah. least understand enough to know what actually takes a long time and what's quite easy. And that's one of the other things, isn't it? If you're hiring somebody. Should this be a $10,000 or $100,000 project or should it be a $100 job? I mean, that, that differentiation, I think, comes from having a sense of it yourself, isn't it, as well? Yeah. For instance, the accounting thing is a perfect example because that is, I hate it. I studied math <laughs> in college. You'd think accounting would be, I hate it. Like, I can't stand it. I do it. I, I almost do all of our taxes and then I send it to the account and make sure we're doing it right. But I need to know what a nexus in a state is that means when you like and every state has a different threshold in some states like georgia or something it's like if you sell 200 units a year or a month or something like that you now have a tax nexus and you need to start collecting and remitting sales taxes and you need to file that you're going to do it's like okay thankfully shopify keeps track of those those various nexuses other ones are you need to sell 200 units oh like and it has to be more than a hundred thousand dollars a year in that state so you don't hit that nexus necessarily at the same time as the other. So we're paying state taxes in like, I don't know, 15, 20 states. The other ones will probably pay soon. I just need to know what that concept is. I need to know that that section of Shopify exists and I need to tell my accountant that. And then once a month she asks me for, I just go in and I hit ex, you know, ex, the, I should probably give her access to just, so I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. But if I didn't know about taxes. Oh my God. Could you imagine if I was just operating in, in 20 states for a year or two, not paying or collecting state taxes? I don't even want to know the their governments. They're going to, they're going to own you. I don't know yeah. how, but minimum of fines. So it's those kinds of things. Like just be aware of the stuff that you have to do. And then now I spend two seconds on it. I check once a month. I have as my 
day one of the month, I check, okay, are we in any new nexuses? Oh yeah, two new states popped up. Copy, paste, send it to the accountant, Excel sheet. Takes me about 10 minutes Mm. and I'm covered for that major catastrophic event of obviously not paying taxes. So I guess if we're going to summarize more or less what you're saying, it's I guess it's that the CEO needs to have an understanding of every area of the business, but hopefully also so you don't go mad, outsource to the specialist or, you know, or get in-house, you know, sooner or yeah. later. Is, is that a sort of fair summary of your approach? That's it. And I'm not sure yeah. if that's CEO slash COO slash some other. Slash something. Yeah, yeah. You know, the CEO isn't necessarily supposed to do all of those things. I just do. Yeah. I also have no idea what a traditional CEO role is. I just have always <laughs> it. And so yeah. I'm like, I mean, oh yeah, okay. Well, today I'm, you know, I had an idea for an ad yesterday and I just went into Sketch and I designed it. It took me an hour and a half. It was fun. And and now we're running it. That's not a CEO role, but it's, I don't know, it's something I decided to do because I I thought it would be good. And to even explain to the ad to our designer would take me 30, 40 minutes. And I thought it's an easy enough ad. I'll just do it. So, yeah, I mean, some it's interesting, isn't that dance with small business? I guess owner operators is, is a sort of niche that I speak to. And I guess that when you're small enough, the distinction between CEO and COO, uh, A, it can be artificial, but B, you know, some people like yourself are just very meticulous process driven people. So they're, they're going to be naturally drawn to operations. Some people, and I think I'm probably one of them, you know, should admit that whilst I respect people who are good at operations and I'm a huge believer in, it, in the importance of getting it dialed in. I'm probably not the person to dial all of it in. I'm, I'm better working on somebody else's business to point out what's wrong and then saying, right, go and talk to your accountant, go talk to your product manager, go hire this graphic designer to get other people to clean it up. So you've got to recognize what your strengths and weaknesses are. And, and so I suppose some people might outsource earlier than others, just depending on their personality, yeah. right? I think as long as somebody in your company is obsessed with being, you know, having a handle on all of the major operations within the business, I think it's all good. If you would like resources, and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 442. I would say that because I'm self-funded, I that's like probably half the job of a CEO is like, it's like vision of where we're going and then raising money and making sure we can afford it. Yeah. And the CFO is probably in there too. Obviously I do those things, but because I'm self-funded and we have profitable, I don't need to worry about a lot of the time suck things a CEO might. We're also small. We have two products launched. It's not, it's not like we have, I have to say, oh, wow, okay, we're going to do 90 things. Yeah, let's go on Amazon. Let's like grow that. Let's do the Vine programs and list these things. Okay, we have this great company doing it. I hired them. Okay, I just wait a week or two until they give me a report on what's going on. So the real meticulous stuff, I would say that most of my job is COO role stuff, but that's just what ha- that's just what it is when you're getting it off the ground. I mean, you know, if we raise $10 million next month, yeah, I'm sure I'd have a C-suite of a couple people. I'd probably, my head developer would become my CTO and he'd probably hire a couple people under him. But we just don't need that at this point. That's another thing is like, we hire insanely slowly and fire very quickly. And that is just the advice that I have been given by an unbelievable number of successful people. It is that everything is people. Every single thing is people. My developer, he doesn't just code our website. He comes up with animations. He comes up with new ideas. He understands Google Analytics. He will he will give me good surprises all the time of like, hey, I actually thought of this new way that we could act we could offer a thing to capture more e- you know emails. And I built a 
version of it here. Check it out. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, great. So, you know, we're six or seven people, but we operate like we're 30 because they're the right people. It's There's no bloating. There's not going to be any layoffs if there's a downturn in the economy with us. There's, in fact, we're hiring more people now. So that's one of the things. And when, you know, email marketers, we've had some issues with email marketers of, you know, terrible communication, non-execution. I give them a week of that. And if they just like, do not pick it up, I go, okay, well, like I'm giving you a harsh conversation. You have one more week to show me because your job is something where you can execute that specific job on the daily. You can give me results. You can make an email and it's pretty easy or an SMS and show me that you ran it. If you're just not doing your job, you're out. Yeah. So just a realistic view of like it's not a charity like if i'm going to pay you money out of my own pocket you need to do the job i oh, need yeah. to get done for the business to be successful yeah i i have a bad habit of hiring fast and then trying to manage hard and yeah i i think not that i've hired many people over my business career but yeah when it's your own money it can get a bit too personal i, I find I, I have to try and remember that i'm british because part of me i don't have any german german heritage that i know of but i i've spent a lot of time there and part of me gets very germanic and very direct and i have to stand back from the go mm, so i'd be nice but by the same token i, just, I think having nice expectations is good yeah, yeah just be just be friendly in california and hey man this is great here's a list of our exact expectations let's do a trial run of two weeks mm -hmm. it's Two weeks in, hey man, you didn't meet any of them. Yeah, see, in a nice yeah. way, but like, yeah, it's not mean. It's like I said, you need to do A, B, C, and D, and you literally only did A. And it's yeah. like I don't. Oh, I could have been clearer. It's in writing to you. We yeah. conversation in screen shares. So from and then you know what? Most of the people who even get to a trial went through the ringer with me. Yeah, but nobody quits. I haven't had like anybody quit because once I find the right people, it's a perfect test. They want me to be like constantly challenging their work because I tell them to constantly challenge mine. And that's the way we end up getting great results and why we win as a company. And at the end of the day, if you're winning as a company and you're not nice to people in the process, you know, because challenging does not mean mean. It just means like, hey, so you built this thing. Why'd you build it? Okay, cool. What, how are you going to track its performance? Like you, you just ask them to make sure that they're, what they're doing is real. You know, and they have to explain it. And one of my, I don't know how to, what is it? A value, I guess, is that I need to personally be able to explain everything I'm doing all the time. It's just a, like a personality thing, which is why I can be incredibly thorough when you ask me questions. Cause I've thought about every single thing we're doing as a company before we go and execute it. And I've most likely dragged my team into some calls and, and, and conversations about it. So at least we have some smart people who've said, yeah, this should work or could work, or that's a good way to test it. If you, try this yeah i like it and what's very clear about you is that you have a very clear vision for the company a very clear way of doing things which is great so i think if somebody wanted to work for you having even listened to this podcast i mean if you're hiring we could put that out there but joking apart i think they know who they were getting they know that you're meticulous they know that you care about operations that you're going to have your finger in all the pie so they want somebody who's very hands-off boss and relaxed and just away in the clouds dreaming up marketing ideas, they'd absolutely hate it. And if they want somebody who's going to yeah. be hands-on and very involved, they'd love it. And, you know, so I think There's you're balance, very, very though. clear. It's very interesting. Yeah, that's, I, I just set clear expectations. I do in my personal relationships too. Like my friends have been friends for life. My girlfriends are always like long-term relationships because I don't, I don't spend more than a week or two with people who I don't enjoy 
getting you know the 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 situation with them. But also, if I find someone, you have to understand the type of work they're doing. A lot of times, my developer, we will have an intense conversation on a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, whatever it is, and then we'll know exactly what he goes to build, and they'll be like, "Okay, go build it. Just ping me when you have something to show me." And that might be three days later. That might be six days later. I don't even message him. I know he's. I know who he is. I know he's responsible. I know he's working on the thing. I know he might like need to take a day off on a Tuesday because some people, are, you know, maybe he's tired. Maybe he needs to go running. Whatever it is, I just know that this guy who I've worked with for six years always delivers. So he knows what needs to get built. Go build it, man. And so it's it's actually far more liberating because when you give people free time but no direction, that's like scary. What am I going to do? What if I don't deliver something? Is my boss going to fire me because I'm never delivering stuff because I have no direction? People don't like that. They want direction. They want clarity. They want to know what they're trying to build or at least the goal, not necessarily the path there. That might be their job to find the path. But then you have to give people the time to actually go and execute it. I do that with my ads guy. Sometimes I'm like, you know, sometimes we're messaging and talking for three hours a day back and forth because that's required. Like we're reviewing ads, we're reviewing footage. Sometimes I don't talk to him for three days in a row because he's going in just editing. And editing is not a thing where I should be pinging him in the middle of it. It'll distract him. So it's not like I'm a micromanager as far as the time. I'm a micromanager as far as like process and results. Yeah, nice. Micromanage process and results, not time. That's a very, very good distinction. I like that. Well, look, have you got another say 10 minutes, I'd love to talk to you a bit more because you're obviously a man who's very into the weeds of everything, including the product development, which is possibly more unusual in the the realm of well, most physical products, since you actually kind of built your product as it were, or formulated it yourself at home. So how do we get, so I've got, got some notes here to, how to get faster product development, better quality and price. Now we've already talked about faster, one approach being that you simply refuse to accept the norms of your industry and shopped around vigorously until you found somebody who would be faster. So that's one thing we've dealt with. How do we deal with other ways of getting faster product development, faster, better, cheaper, the old SaaS or software pitch really, isn't it? What, how do you try and achieve? Well, to go back to one of the points that I'll kind of expand on, the answers that you're looking for are oftentimes out there. It just might be like 30% of an answer from this source, 30% from this source, 40% from this source. So for instance, just the chemistry. Yeah, I, I took a lot. I bought 20, 30 products, whatever it was, and tested them all, the serums, and figured out that. But I also was looking at their packaging. I was looking at their size. I was looking at the labels that were on them. Were they custom printed on the plastic? Was it glass with a waterproof label? If it was that, was it matte? Was it glossy? Was it scratch resistant? You know, again, the, the size of the products. What type of pump? Was it a dropper? Was it a pump? If it was a pump, how much came out? The answers were there. I, when you bought 30 products, when I bought 30 products, two of them had pumps that I was like, I love these. That was it. Okay, there we go. Well, I'll use that pump. The other ones, it's like, oh, glass feels more expensive. It's better for chemistry because like things don't like interact with glass. So it doesn't like erode. Amber looks more expensive and the glass is, and so, and the light gets through less. So it'll keep the product safer from, from UV rays and light which degraded over time and give it a shorter shelf life, longer shelf life, de-risks inventory because you can sell it for longer. And it was like, okay, it wasn't just the one answer I got. I got a lot of answers by ordering those 30 products. Like, and so that's another thing. You know, if you're comp if you if you see some competitors doing something you like, order their products. First of all, I don't necessarily condone this, but you can always return them. 
test them out, take some videos, write detailed notes, especially if it's on Amazon, return them. <laughs> I mean, you know, your competitors, you don't necessarily have to be nice to them. Although I don't, I like to keep them for reference, so I don't actually do that. But, you know, it's it's funny. Sometimes you can ask for return just to see the return process and see what they actually offer in their customer service emails, which I always think is very funny. But that that's the kind of key. If you're building a, you know, course, you know, whatever, go look at other courses. Look at what they actually entail. Like the answers are out there. When you want to develop a website, go look at your favorite websites. What are they doing? Are they having big blocks of color? Are they having crazy animations? Is it simple? How many words are on the screen? How many, like, do you scroll once before you start seeing any numbers about the pricing? When you click on a button, what does it do? Does it light up? Does it do nothing? How fast is it look? Like, you can get answers from stuff out there. It, it's That would be my biggest thing is that you don't need to reinvent the wheel. What you need to do is, like, take a section from 30 other wheels and make your own. So this, I've probably been listening to too much Arthur Conan Doyle recently, but Sherlock Holmes, but it reminds me of like Sherlock Holmes conversations with Dr. Watson. They, they look at the same thing. And then Sherlock Holmes says something like, well, Watson, it's extremely obvious what we need to do, doesn't it? And Watson says, I'm so sorry, Holmes. I, 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 I can't see anything. So I guess what you do is you see things maybe a bit differently from people, but to your point, I guess one of the things you're simply saying is, sorry camera death here. I mean, you just call me Sherlock Holmes and I, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take you. Appreciate yeah, it. yeah. But I mean, I, so I suppose I sometimes I'm feeling like the Dr. Watson here thinking, well, okay, you bought a load of competitive products and you saw a bunch of implications of it's amber, therefore, you know, UV ray reduction and it looks more expensive and, and, and so therefore that can push you towards amber glass and glass versus plastic. So what do we need to do then in order to be able to learn from the environment that we're in? Because I guess you're saying the answers are out there. But then that implies that you can see mindset. the answers. It's a mindset because when you use a product that you love, you love it. It's like you, you that stuff is happening subconsciously. When you pick up a, I'll just, this is close to me, an Xbox control, you go, oh, it's nice. It's black. If this was pink, I wouldn't have the same reaction. If the buttons, when I pressed them, weren't as nice. If like, if the bumpers were, were worse, it was the closest product I have. You know, here's a candle. Okay. It's nice. It's black. It's glass. It's shiny. Maybe, you know, it, there's a contrast of the colors. You just need to put yourself in the mindset of like, oh, let me just break down what are the elements of this thing. How does it look? How does it smell? Mm, it smells nice. Well, yeah, candles are supposed to, but is it how strong is it? Is it super strong? Is that you just have to get the kind of categories of the variables you need to understand. And that's just like looking at it. You know, I can pick this candle up and be like, oh, wow, this is really great. It smells nice. That's all the customer is supposed to think about. But as the manufacturer of this, they need to think about why is it this tall? Why is why is the clear glass this and not here? And there's like there's just a lot of implications and things you can think of that make things look and feel in a certain way and perform a certain way and have the customer experience them in a certain way. And if you just get a bunch of products and look at them, it's again, it's not rocket science. You probably have to like practice to make sure you don't miss some things here and there. But I do this with people. I, I make them pick up a product and I just tell me like, tell me everything. Break down why you like that thing. And then they'll be like, well, it smells nice. I'm like, is that all you have to say about the smell? And they're like, well, yeah. I was like, well, why does it smell nice? How potent is the smell? When you burn it, does the smell like take up the whole room or is it concentrated? How big is the flame? Like, I'm just take, thinking these things off my head. It's really just 
a a to z the customer experience with the product and again do that with a website do that with your competitors ads they're all on an ad library facebook tiktok they have ad libraries go watch your competitors ads in the first three seconds do they go like hey blah blah blah. okay well all of this competitors ads are doing it and you see that they've been running this ad for three months that means they works and they're putting money behind it maybe you go record something where some guy does something into the camera you know it's all out there it's just a matter of breaking it down understanding it and kind of redoing it for yourself in your own context yeah, again, I can't help feeling a bit like Watson with Holmes here, but yeah, I think you have a certain. I've been doing this for like twelve down. years. Like I don't know. Yeah, that may be what it is. I mean, you've got my sport. This Interesting, my... but uh, nevertheless, I think you know we can learn from from these things. I guess this level of meticulousness is one thing I'm taking away from you. Breaking things down and ordering, by the way, the level of commitment, ordering 30, 40 competitive products. Yeah. You're like really into that thing if you're ordering 30, 40 products. I just had a conversation with. A client where he was about to order a load of stuff in China. I said, okay, so have you bought competitive products and tried them out? And have you tried your sample out? And I'm going to put this without revealing categories. I want to respect confidentiality. So here's a, a sort of accessory product that goes with the main thing. And it turns out he doesn't own the main thing. And I said, okay, can you borrow one from a friend? And he just sent me an email today saying he bought the main thing and he's bought three competitive products. I'm like, that's a kind of start. I mean, 30 is more obsessive. And I mean, I think, look, here's yeah. the thing. 30 is crazy. But then again, yeah. like probably ordered five and I was like, okay, well, there's more out there. I think you do things in stages. You never want to overexpose yourself. I don't want to go and spend two grand on skincare products only to realize like the first two that I ordered were the right ones. So I just, you know, and it is very annoying. It's very annoying to be this thorough. It is, it is sometimes terrible. It's an unbelievable burden. But here's the thing, it solves all of my future problems because we end up with products that are great that don't get returned that work. We end up with the best packaging. We end up with like, let's say we had done clear plastic instead of dark, you know, amber glass. Plastic could have had a, a negative interaction with our products. It doesn't, but it could have. Clear, maybe people, the behavior is they leave it on a, in their bathroom next to the window and it just degrades. So it has a year shelf life instead of two, which is bad for us and bad for the customer. Maybe plastic is cheaper. So our $39 price point, which is not cheap, just doesn't feel justified because it's like this plastic is $39. They're like, because we made amber glass, we just don't have that problem. We don't have any of those problems. And so that's one of the things I'll do is I will trade away my time, effort, and energy now to solving future problems. Because then once you have something that works, it just works. We're going to be selling this facial serum for the next 20 years, 50 or whatever, until, until, you know, until we're all living in the simulation or whatever it is, you know, until skincare is irrelevant. Because I went through all of that stuff. I went through all of that with our concealer pen. I chested 30 pens. The way this clicks, where's the microphone? I don't know if you hear that. Yeah. I tested and heard, I was like, oh, which click feels the best? Wow. Attention to detail. I love it. If you're going to create a premium product, unlike the number of people who said to me, I wanted to create a premium brand or sort of on the price higher than everyone else, which is effectively, you know, I suppose on Amazon, it's such a price comparison. It's like even worse than yeah. when I sell on Shopify and, and getting in the, the Google SERPs or, or the Google shopping results, right? But yeah. And then they say that they've bought no competitive products. I'm like, okay, so you're going to need to 
you know, as Tim Ferriss put it in the Forest work for our work week price high and justify, you've got to have that reason why people are going to buy. And it's got to actually reside in the product. And then your marketing shouts about it, in my opinion, because of this review thing, again, particularly on Amazon. I mean, you can get away with things to some degree outside of Amazon to, to some small degree, I guess, as a Shopify story, and you probably tell not much. But yeah, it's, it's, I think that the way you're going with this, just again, there's a pattern that emerges here from my interviews and from my knowledge of my clients who meticulousness about these things just seems to be. I don't know any other way. Yeah. Lucky that it's my personality. It's quite stressful sometimes. You're a very thorough chap, but we ought to let you get back to running your business. Jake, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Uh, You're a man of great passion for your business, for your product, and an example to us all. Quite humbling level of detail that you go into. So I guess you don't have that, you know, million and one, you know, courses to sell people or anything like that. Yeah. But if people want to reach out to you, you mentioned that you do mentoring for people or if they want to check, check you out to Crete. Uh, brand where do they get so you'd come you could email me at jake j-a-k-e at crete k-r-e-t-e dot club c-l-u-b or our website is crete k-r-e-t-e dot club c-l-u-b not dot com dot club we kind of have a, like a subscription situation so that's like the crete club and you get a lot of perks and things if you join but uh, yeah we have two products right now they're selling like crazy we just we just like a week ago thank god got like a ton more inventory in because we were about to sell out. And to me, selling out, some companies are like, oh, we like to brag about it. I'm like, that sucks. We can't make money in those days. So for for all intents and purposes, we were about to sell out. But yeah, Jake at Crete.club, I answer questions all the time. I get random emails. I mean, no one's going to challenge my business because I tell you how we do our email marketing in like an email that takes me two minutes to write, but it could really help some other entrepreneur. And you know, it's kind of like paying it forward or paying it back. I don't know, paying it somewhere. Paying it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, like that's a very generous offer. So if somebody emails you, presumably they need to be somebody who's already got a, a sort of established business or something like that. Or would Not you necessarily. Work with I, I mean, I've built four businesses from the ground up and I've helped tons of people. I've helped people who are like, I have a nine to five and an idea. Like, what? how do I actually start the idea? And like, mm-hmm. sometimes the answer is that's not the greatest idea. Your nine to five is paying you well and you have kids. Like, yeah, maybe the security of your job is actually the correct thing. So, yeah, you know, yeah, willing to. I, I give that advice more than more than the like you know Gary V's or like quit and grind and live in your cars kind of stuff. Sometimes it's like I like yeah. some stuff that, that kind of grind mentality has, but other stuff it's like it can be a little toxic sometimes. Sometimes reality is this is insanely hard. I do it twenty four seven. I live and breathe this, and I have to be acquiring skills for a decade in order to run this successfully. Sometimes that's the answer, but you know, that's true. Well, thank you for the willingness to be honest. Well, look, Jake, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Jake Rosenberg of Crete, go check out Crete.club to see how a beautifully put together e-commerce site with the really clean, clear marketing promise is done as well. And been a real pleasure to talk to you above all your philosophies of business and product development, meticulousness and thoroughness, real example to us all. So Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 442. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. 
I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.